This is PE Talks Africa, a podcast by the African Private Equity and Venture Capital Association. I'm your host, Yossi Olaleye, the Marketing and Communications Manager at AFCA. In this podcast series, we hear from the innovators, entrepreneurs, investors, and change makers who are driving Africa's growth through private investment. Join us as we discuss the key trends and issues around the private equity and venture capital industry in Africa. Our focus in this episode is the healthcare sector, and we are delighted to be talking to BJ Mohandas, partner and global co-leader for health investments at LibFrog, a leading impact investor partnering with extraordinary businesses in Africa and Asia to achieve growth, profitability, and impact. Biju, thank you very much for joining us today. We're delighted to be talking to you on the podcast. Tell us a bit more about your background. You recently joined Lipfrog Investments as partner and global co-leader for health after a nine-year stint at IFC. So what's that transition been like moving from a DFI to a private equity firm? Thanks, Yossi. Firstly, thank you and AVCA for uh, having me join this very interesting series of conversations. Uh, truly excited to uh, speak to you and and um, uh, indeed learn from, from the conversation as we go forward. Um, indeed, my... my journey has been um, quite desultory, one could say, Uh, starting as a doctor many years ago, uh, spent a few years in the Indian Army and um, worked my way into impact investing and now with with LeapFrog. Um, If I were to look back and reflect, I, I think the journey that put me where I am today began more than 20 years ago when I was commissioned as an officer in the Indian Army. I spent a significant portion of my time in the Army in fairly remote rural locations in the northeastern parts of uh, of India, where at that point of time, there was a critical lack of basic amenities such as healthcare, education, and we in the Army had to step in and help provide some of these services. However, even in those circumstances, certain goods like cigarettes or alcohol and confectionaries seemed to find its way to people's hands. And and it it seemed like A, it was present there and B, it was affordable. Um, So this was a bit of an aha moment for me and it catalyzed a lifelong quest to understand how the power of capitalism, which put those discretionary items in the hands of the poor in remote locations, could be harnessed to make critical services such as healthcare, clean energy, education, more accessible and affordable. So that that essentially, essentially was the trigger that resulted in a, a lifelong journey as, as it turned out. Um, I went to business school where multiple fortuitous encounters with great professors, friends, etc., uh, gave me a glimpse into impact investing, got very interested in that, joined um, an organization called Acumen during the early days of impact investing, uh, which then put me in, in sub-Saharan Africa, um, based out of Nairobi, investing across the continent, uh, as well as uh, in, in South Asia, joined IFC close to a decade ago, as you pointed out, where I led our healthcare and education investment team and was 
also the global sector lead for medical devices. So after close to a decade working in, in that organization, which I felt personally was um, uh, an exceptionally fruitful period for myself, I started reflecting a lot triggered possibly by COVID and and the restrictions on travel that it imposed, um, which gave me time. In, in some ways, I think I stole time from the boarding gates and lounges that we used to spend a lot of um, time at and reflected. And, and I realized I want to learn more and do more in, in certain specific areas. One was um, to do more investing at the intersection of healthcare and technology. Two was to do um, investing at the same time in Sub-Saharan Africa as well as South Asia because I felt there were so many parallels having worked in multiple countries across both those areas that I wanted to, uh, in in some ways, uh, glean and continue to glean knowledge from entrepreneurs, other investors in both those geographies. And finally, I wanted to be part of a slightly smaller team which which had ambitions and has ambitions to um, scale and become a major player in the impact investing space. So so that those were the three triggers really for me to start reflecting. And um, and and as luck would have it, um, I found I would say the perfect mix of all three of those factors at at Leapfrog and uh, became a part of uh, the team here. Sounds amazing. I'm really interested in your background um, in the Indian Army. I would I would never have guessed that. So um, nice nice fact to know about you, Biju. But, but that's a really uh, amazing story. And you know what stuck out to me is that you said you've had a lifelong journey in impact investing right from the very beginning, working in the Indian Army and just sort of seeing that lack of amenities and how investment could make that happen. So really exciting background, but that leads us nicely into the next question then. So given that you've had over two decades or nearly two decades of experience investing and just working in emerging markets and making all these basic communities, as you call them, accessible to people. Uh, I want us to talk a bit about how, in your view, Africa's private sector has evolved over the years from when you started your career to date. So, and it would be great to draw on examples from education and healthcare, which are your core areas. Sure, sure, Yossi. Um, when I look back at about 12 years that I have lived in, worked uh, in in sub-saharan africa and and if i were to look at it from the perspective of the healthcare sector to start with i i feel private sector has in many ways private capital as well as private providers of healthcare pro- uh, private finances of healthcare uh, across all of this it has in essence solidified its role as a key component of making healthcare accessible and affordable to everyone in the in the continent and that for me is uh, is a significant almost acknowledgement of the role that a private sector has in complementing the efforts of the of the public sector in this very important um, uh, service that that pretty much uh, should be a human right in in my view and when when one looks at how has that sector evolved over the last 10 years or so, I would say three major trends 
have transcended those that decade. One is the trend of consolidation of what has been a significantly fragmented se- sector. It still is quite fragmented with small mom and pop operations delivering bulk of the care, but it is more consolidated than it was 10 years ago. And it is likely to get even more consolidated as we move forward. And that in turn will generate several positive externalities ranging from potentially lower cost of care, the ability to attract better quality management into the ecosystem, the ability to um, come together as a group and advocate appropriate policies and regulations with governments, uh, the ability to provide more consistent quality of care across your network and so on and so forth. So so consolidation is one major um, element that I've noted over the last um, decade or so in the private sector in healthcare. The second major trend is the interaction between the private sector and the public sector is more and more based on the foundation of universal health coverage, where multiple governments, you are from Nigeria, we were discussing earlier, I I live in Kenya, people have made investments in Ghana, South Africa, etc. Across all of these countries, multiple governments have come to the conclusion that providing a basis for universal health insurance to their population is important. And when these large uh, countries with um, significant GDPs and and influence make that decision, it tends to permeate as well. Again, um, is it enough? Do we do we uh, do we have universal insurance? No, we don't. But um, if you look at Rwanda, for instance, today it is almost 98 percent uh, covered by insurance. Um, Kenya has. Uh, as per the NHIF's last report, I think it was some point in 2018 or so, uh, the coverage, they have, uh, I think, seven odd million subscribers. And if you add in families of those subscribers, it's almost 20 million uh, people covered. Um, so again, not perfect, not enough, a lot of issues to be figured out, but uh, pr- universal health insurance is becoming more and more important and the private sector uh, how it will work with the public sector in in enabling universal health insurance to succeed is going to be a, a key element looking into the future and then finally the emergence of technology i have always said this if you read some of the things i've written about the space even two three years ago um i have been a believer in interesting, innovative models emerging at the intersection of technology and health. However, the pandemic, which has just struck us, has accelerated that many fold. So that's the third um, trend, the development of the the utilization of technology in health uh, that that I think uh, has emerged over the last decade or so. And and all three of these, in my view, will play into the um, next decade and play a significant role in providing great quality health in in a more equitable fashion across sub-Saharan Africa. Actually, I would go go further than that and say across emerging markets. Um, On the education bit, I I feel all of these are relevant. Um, The first bit and the second bit for sure, though at a smaller scale for various reasons. Uh, But the middle part, the role of government and how government and private sector interacts in providing good quality education, I'm personally not sure 
that has been worked out. There, I, I don't think there is a consensus yet um, in the sector as to how that ought to be resolved. Um, the healthcare sector has shown a template where the government is taking on the role of a financier, a risk pooler, a demand side finance enabler. I'm not entirely sure that has happened on the health fr- uh, on the education front in in sub-Saharan Africa, but the first two elements, a consolidation in a otherwise fragmented industry, as you must have seen, multiple AVCA members have um, invested backing that thesis. Similarly, emergence of technology in that space is also uh, pretty much a given at this point. I want to uh, expand on the technology point. Uh, I think you, so you recently spoke uh, on the healthcare panel at Africa's conference, the virtual one, a couple of months ago. And in on that panel, you mentioned that telemedicine has proven to be a cost-effective strategy for uh, businesses while also increasing convenience for patients so can you talk a bit more about you know technology and other ways that you're seeing technology being leveraged to address health issues and just generally I guess social issues on the continent I would say on the on the health front the combination of various factors and if we had this conversation two years ago, uh, I would have said the same thing, but with possibly less conviction that I, than I am able to muster right now, having watched on the sidelines everything that has happened in this space as a result of technology, right? Whether it is the silver lining that we are seeing around vaccination, emergence of a vaccine, the the the, the speed. Um, at which from at which the genome that caused the pandemic was sequenced and on the back of that sequencing appropriate vaccinations were developed uh, mustered regulatory approval across multiple regulators in multiple continents and is now being distributed and uh, and executed as we speak that that speed and the importance that technology played across that spectrum from sequencing to now uh, distribution is uh, is a great example of one of the areas where technology could play a big role, and that is genomics. Um, and, but even in relatively less complex or complicated areas of technology, like our humble mobile phone that um, pretty much all of us carry around, or uh, sensors ranging from uh, Apple Watches to other devices that more and more uh, people are wearing, um, to the ability to uh, generate data from these devices and then harness the um, ever-increasing computing power to analyze that data. And on the back of that analysis, coming up with prevention as opposed to cure of diseases. So, so it's an entire um, spectrum of opportunities ranging from the simple uh, that which is harnessing the data that is being generated and recorded by a lot of us on, on cell phones, all the way to more complex uh, issues such as genomics and tapping the power of um, the gene to uh, prevent diseases. Uh, and in between those two extremes, there are several um, other elements as well, and telemedicine is one that you mentioned. Um, so, so I think overall, one could spend a lot of time just 
breaking it down into each of those um, areas and discussing further and i'm happy to but but for for um uh, in, in in order to keep it short i would just say there is a huge opportunity across that spectrum the question uh, for me are threefold one how does one ensure that even as we uh, tap into the into the ex exceptional promise of technology in delivering healthcare we are not losing sight of um, a large chunk of the population who may not uh, who may not be the ones that the private sector or capitalism is directly targeting and and the vaccine um, distribution is is a great example if today uh, one could almost um, make a guess based on the gdp typically but not entirely of, of a country what the level of vaccination is right and and one doesn't uh, you don't want to do that not just because it's morally and ethically wrong but it's also uh, creates a, a, a risk for pretty much everyone today if one person isn't vaccinated that means there is a possibility of mutations and um, uh, other streams of viruses emerging that could make everyone else who is vaccinated also sick potentially um, so so from a ethical perspective and also a practical perspective as we look to leverage the power of technology it is important to make sure that we are also keeping in mind how to ensure uh, that in on top of the technological innovations one is also looking at business model innovations distribution innovations financing innovations to make sure um, this is equitable the the promise of technology is equitable and allow for good health for everyone not just a select um, mass of people who can afford it the second element that i would spend a fair bit of time trying to think through linked to the first one is how can technology allow for one of the trends that we were discussing earlier the universal health insurance trend to be deployed in emerging markets at a much cheaper uh, rate while providing the same quality than has been possible so far even in emerging markets how can one leapfrog the traditional ways of providing insurance um, using technology and and we have some great examples in our portfolio bima um, one of our portfolio companies provides uh, about um, uh, six million people with health insurance it takes less than two minutes uh, to secure a healthcare policy from them and less than 30 cents premium per month. So they are able to make it work because they are leveraging technology, whether it's telemedicine or various um, distribution uh, platforms to provide this this health insurance in an equitable fashion so that that would be the second bit and i do think if um, regulators private sector we, we think creatively like bima seems to have done another entity called pasar polis uh, which is um, again an insurance company not not in in sub-saharan africa and southeast asia that has been able to deliver uh, policies to millions of people almost i think uh, if i recall correctly more than 70 percent of the policies that they have sold and it is beyond health are to people who are buying policies for the first time so it is possible to leverage technology to ensure that healthcare financing which is uh, which is an important component to ensure equitable healthcare is delivered to pretty much everyone so that universal health insurance is, is is a possibility that technology can achieve so that would be the second thing that i would keep in mind um, when it comes to technology and the third bit is as a 
as an industry, how do we look beyond what we have inherited over the last 100, 150 years or so, mostly from Western models? Uh, how do we think of healthcare less as the care of sick people and more as the care of people? preventing them from becoming sick in the first place. So you'll see if you or I were given a choice, hey, um, there is this um, disease, simple disease, like common cold or a little flu, um, you can have it. But after you have that flu, we'll treat you. Are you okay with it? I, I'm fairly certain that both of us wouldn't want to get sick in the first place, right? We, we don't want, even if we know that we can be treated, we don't want to be sick. Um, so unfortunately, not unfortunately, I think the nature of the evolution of the healthcare industry so far has been to treat people who fall sick, come up with antibiotics or antivirals uh, to prevent people from or to to uh, improve um, the sickness. Uh, what what can one do to leverage technology to prevent people from being sick? And, and then based on that, how do we reshape? our health sector, it is another great opportunity for governments and the private sector in emerging markets to leapfrog. We don't need to build massive edifices which cost um, uh, billions of dollars. Uh, we can try to, in some ways, prevent um, the, the spend of money on hard infrastructure by, um, or, or, or at the, one would require it, please don't get me wrong, one would require great quality hospitals, et cetera, but possibly the, the use can be minimized only when someone is really sick and everything else can be treated almost at home right now, um, uh, as, as we were mentioning earlier. So, so three, three broad thoughts on the technology front without getting into specifics of what each technology can do. One, um, even as we look at all of these innovations, important to keep in the back of our mind, how can we make it more equitable? Second, one way of making it uh, more equitable is um, leveraging technology first and foremost to reduce the cost of uh, delivering universal health insurance um, and to doing and, and doing it in a seamless fashion as a lot of our portfolio companies have shown. And finally, um, thinking of preventive care and delivering care at the person's home as opposed to using the traditional hospital-based models of caring for those who fall sick. That's interesting. And as you were speaking, I was thinking, is it fair to call, what, so your third point, is it fair to refer to it as essentially preventative healthcare services then? You, yes, one could, absolutely. I think one could say that. I would go a step beyond that, saying it's just about wellness and fitness, right? When one thinks about it, if we sleep well, eat well, and exercise, uh, if if we just do those three things regularly, um, a lot of diseases can be prevented. And uh, at the end of the day, we end up feeling uh, fit and happy, um, as as we all know. Now, some of us have the privilege to do all three. Some are some don't. Um, so there is a larger conversation around how to make that happen. But yes, I would call it um, wellness even more than a preventative health. What crossed my mind was uh, perhaps then it's it's more of a, I guess, is it cultural or possibly even social thing then in terms of lifestyle changes? And I guess it goes beyond private sector, public sector sort of regulation, uh, regulators, policymakers and more 
it, now we're looking at the consumers themselves. And I feel like um, over the past few years, I've noticed that across the continent, particularly where there are a lot of middle class uh, Africans, there is this increasing interest in what they call fit fam life, you know, so people are going out running, people are trying to eat healthier, and you're seeing more and more businesses coming up providing healthier versions of snacks and things like that. So what is the opportunity on the continent for organizations, I guess, a sort of more to stakeholder approach to lifestyle changes you know how do you i think you, you touched on that as well how do you it's a, it's a it's a larger conversation how do you get to the people and encourage them to you know change their lifestyle so i wonder if we can explore explore that is there are there any trends you're seeing um in investment and policy making especially because you're you're based in nairobi you know what's the nairobi experience of that sort of lifestyle shift firstly i i think it's a secular and global trend those with means are certainly even uh, yeah I, I would say certainly those with means are there is a shift towards wellness becoming a big part of one's life and again like a lot of things covid has accelerated that shift as people realize uh, a, a disease that could be uh, not a uh, could could be a bad flu in some people ends up being more uh, you know, ends up having significant side effects, if, if not um, complete mortal fatality in, in some others. And one factor is just how how fit you are and, and how um, what are the other diseases that you may be suffering from or not. So, so uh, partly as a result of COVID, but also partly as a result of just the growing GDPs uh, across uh, emerging markets, um, there has been a shift towards wellness. How can one make sure that this shift is not something that, again, just the elite and those with means are benefiting from is is the key question. And I would say that requires, as you said, a combination of policy and uh, private sector. Right on the policy front, I, I, I'm, I'm sure there are multiple areas uh, that one could one could think of. Uh, but staying on the private sector element, there is a, a win-win for providers of um, multiple services, such as insurance, for instance, discoveries. Um, vitality campaign and uh, is, is a great example where an insurance company is actually providing a nudge to its subscribers to stay healthy um, by by provi- providing a lot of incentives in in order to indulge in healthy behavior whether it is the uh, hum you know relatively modest uh, take a 10,000 steps a day uh, to joining a gym and and so on so I think there is an opportunity, particularly uh, in in that regard. And I would, whether it is a public sector or the private sector, whether it's a technology-enabled entity or a traditional healthcare uh, insurer provider, the key to that achieving success there is to place the consumer or the yeah the consumer at the center of it and ensure that he or she is the one making that decision 
um, and then uh, figuring out ways to incentivize them when they make those good decisions and good choices. And, and I do think when one takes that approach, um, the benefits come through. And we spoke about um, spoke about discovery, but there are other uh, fairly fast growing. I have not seen yet an example, and this could be just my miss. I haven't seen an example yet in sub-Saharan Africa, outside of South Africa and, and Egypt. But in multiple other markets, um, India, for instance, we are seeing the emergence of um, apps which are free, even um, for, for at least to some extent, uh, which provide um, support in ensuring that a person eats uh, good uh, maintains a good quality diet and is uh, counting the calories as well as the macros. Uh, a person is being nudged to um, uh, to to indulge in certain level of physical activity per day and log that activity and link that to um, the diet that they are having and also log in their sleep and so on. So in essence, because the simplicity of um, uh, preventive care and simplicity of wellness uh, being anchored around those three factors of diet, sleep, and um, physical activity, and the uh, possibility of placing, use, leveraging the ubiquitous mobile phone, which whose cost, as we know, has been dropping drastically. The cost of data has also been um, dropping consistently across multiple markets. So leveraging the presence of that mobile phone um, to put the consumer at the center of that wellness initiative, I feel that is where uh, whether it is uh, public uh, policy or whether it is private sector, uh, one could uh, one could uh, tap into this opportunity. I love that, and it makes me think of as you were speaking. I I, I literally started typing that's basically putting the power back into the hands of the consumer, right? So not making it a thing of you know trying to force a certain behavior change, but letting them feel that like they're in control of their health and their lifestyle so that's very interesting and it, it leads us very nicely into my question about the sdgs and so good health and well-being for everyone no matter what their age is is one of the un sustainable development goals so can you tell us how some of lipfrog's portfolio companies are taking action to address some of these health and well-being issues across the continent Absolutely. And this, uh, Yossi, for us is critical. We started our uh, healthcare investing with a promise to our LPs of reaching 10 million emerging consumers, households which earn less than $10 per day um, in, in, our, in our fund life. We are now barely into our fourth year and we have already surpassed that, that target. So we are, we are quite um, pleased by that achievement. And it's solely encouraging us to shoot for even higher targets um, as we go into the future. Um, we are doing that through essentially the approach that uh, might have come across as a thread through our conversations. It is number one, uh, leveraging insurance to ensure there is uh, equitable healthcare being provided and no one slips into poverty because they have had a healthcare episode. Two, by uh, 
noting that consolidation is a real factor and a trend that has played out across multiple markets that we are active in and will continue to play. And as a result of consolidation, there are multiple um, positive externalities that will emerge that we discussed earlier, ranging from good quality care, lower costs, etc. So we want to we have we have tried to leverage that, um, and finally leveraging technology. And a lot of times, all three of these they they layer on each other, um, accelerating our ability to to impact the uh, consumers that we really want to reach. Um, so giving you examples across each of these on the first element of universal health insurance or making um, risk pooling available to everyone. I gave you a couple of examples earlier as well, BIMA, Passar Polis. Um, on the second uh, pillar of consolidation, um, we one example would be our investment into Good Life Pharmacies, which is a, uh, East Africa's largest chain of retail pharmacies in a hugely fragmented space. There are tens of thousands of um, retail pharmacies operating in the region. Uh, however, because there is no other chain other than um, Good Life, the closest competitor. Right now, Good Life has about 75, 80 stores. The closest competitor, I think, is in at about 20-odd stores. Um, so it's a third smaller than, than Good Life. Uh, and that scale allowed us to attract great quality management. It allowed that management team to leverage their expertise to create a smooth supply chain, which A, and most importantly, ensures consistent quality in a market where fake or counterfeit drugs are um, quite preponderant, good lives, medicines are, the supply chain is clean. And two, equally importantly, um, allows them to uh, secure the best possible pricing through um, and, and, and best possible margins uh, for themselves as well. And uh, finally, um, is able to allow them to innovate uh, by cre putting the pharmacy um, at that uh, at the center point of a of a consumer's wellness experience. So whether it is um, coming into the pharmacy not just to buy a medicine, but also to get um, basic consultation, basic diagnostics, uh, in the future, potentially few other products and services that the team is um, innovating around adding using technology, as we mentioned earlier, but in this case, using technology to deliver uh, medicines uh, in accordance with regulations to the patient's home, keeping consumer at the center, as we spoke about earlier. So so Good Life is a, is a great example. They reach about um, 3 million consumers every year already at this scale, and they're, um, they're on track to ramp up um, to several times that number over the next um, three, four years. Um, and finally, on, on leveraging technology itself to... Um, make a healthcare more accessible. One example would be um, our investment in a company called Medgenome, which is um, a molecular diagnostic company, the largest in India, um, that is um, that has played a, um, a significant role in diagnosing and treating um, diseases using the um, the promise of of genomics. So just three broad pillars that we use to focus ourselves. And within that, as you can note, there has been significant impact already in what is a relatively young 
fund in that regard, just four years, five years of investing in the space. Um, and we do believe that a lot more will be achieved. We have a few other investments um, ready to come into the, uh, ready to be disclosed in a few a few weeks, hopefully, um, which are also quite, quite exciting. Lovely, because I was going to ask you very cheekily, so what can we expect from Lipfrog? But um, we'll, we'll just wait and see uh, in a few weeks' time. We're, we're all looking forward to hearing more about what's happening at Lipfrog, at least in the health space. So so let's turn the conversation. I, I know you mentioned the um, COVID vaccination drive very quickly earlier on, but let's talk about that a bit more. So as you know, you know, the vaccine drive is being rolled out across the world and uh, for a lot of people that signals uh, return to normalcy very soon especially those who are interested in seeing uh, more economic activity just things getting back to normal so as a p investor in the health sector but also personally because i know you reflected on your personal life um in light of covid but as as an investor what are your key takeaways from the last 12 months and particularly did the pandemic have any effect on say lipfrogs uh, investment strategies and you know things like deal sourcing what if you were to reflect on the past 12 months in your experience what would you say very very good question yossi and Firstly, from a, from Leafrock's perspective, we've actually doubled down and, and worked and accelerated our investments during that period in the healthcare space. I think when we went into the pandemic, we had three investments. Now we have five with a sixth one, as I mentioned, soon to be disclosed. So essentially doubling our portfolio during that period. Um, because a we believe um, we if ever there was a time to do more in health it is now and b we have uh, been creative innovative and nimble about um, figuring out ways to adapt to the situation and um, and um, keep doing what our lps asked us to do um, so so that's that's on the leapfrog front we've we've continued to double down and and um, uh, make the investments in the space that we believe in secondly with regards to a more secular trend emerging out of um, some of the changes here i would say the single biggest thing for me uh, in my view is the increasing acceptance by consumers uh, whom we said we should place at the center of everything um, as well as regulators to innovative technology-driven models emerging at the intersection of um, uh, health and technology. So, and this opens up incredible opportunity opportunities ranging from tapping the power of gene to accelerate the development of therapies to shifting healthcare from curing diseases to preventing them uh, using personalized wellness, as as we discussed earlier. So, so for me, that acceptance of technology is 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 a major shift i was um, uh, reading somewhere that last year 60% of americans use telemedicine and this, this it's taken decades to go from you know 10% 20% and so on and then uh, boom in, in a year you have 60% of um, the population using it. And this is true, of course, of uh, other areas as well, right? E-commerce and so on. But certainly in technology that has worked, the consumers have um, have accepted uh, to a large extent and there may not be a going back. 
um, similarly regulators as well have figured out and, and understood that certain things can be done differently not to throw away uh, prudence but to be prudent be diligent while at the same time ensuring um, that things can be by leveraging innovations to make sure things are done faster so i think that that for me is the um, most uh, critical and possibly long-standing change uh, emerging out of COVID-19. Absolutely. So just to round up and on a, on a fun note, what is your favorite thing? What do you love the most about investing in uh, emerging markets in healthcare and critical areas on the continent? What is your favorite thing without, about it? Uh, very easy question. Without any doubt, the <laughs> entrepreneurs, <laughs> the people. You know, I was I was actually talking to an investor earlier today and um, we were swapping notes about how um, th- the power of these these individuals, men and women across different markets, uh, some are Nigerian, some are Ghanaian, some are Indians, uh, South Africans, Egyptians, but they seem to have some sort of a unique thread um, that that passes through all of them. There are certain characteristics that you will see um, across all of them, the most compelling being curiosity, the desire to not take no for an answer the the drive um so so it's it's for me personally the opportunity to to invest in um and and uh, the opportunity to um attract along with with the larger leapfrog team billions of dollars of private capital hopefully over the years and churn it through a disciplined process and get them to the hands of these creative passionate entrepreneurs who are building successful enterprises that's that's really the most um, exciting bit of, of my job that's an amazing response um, and a lovely way to end really um, really inspiring to hear that so Thank you so much, BJ. It was amazing talking to you. Uh, the passion, I could just feel all of that passion for what you do come through. And that's what we've come to know of Lip Frogs people. And so if you ask me, I think you've found your home, as you mentioned thank earlier, you so Lip much. Frogs. So, um, but thank you so much for joining us today. And we look forward to seeing more uh, exciting news coming out from um, Lip Frog. Yossi, thank you so much. I, I truly enjoyed our conversation. It's learned a lot and um, really, uh, really was um, uh, inspired to be part of this, uh, this um, series that you're hosting. So thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about what we do in Africa, please visit our website at www.abca-africa.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn to keep up with the latest news and updates in the private equity and venture capital industry in Africa.